Viktor Frankl was a professor and author and a psychotherapist, as well as he was a survivor of the Nazi death camps of World War II. And he writes in a little book called Man's Search for Meaning about his experience of survival in those concentration camps. And he basically talks about how the prisoners that he was in there with, the ones that were most likely to survive, were the ones who had a goal or an ambition every day. And he talked about for himself that he had two basic goals every day when he was in those camps. One was to see and talk to his wife. Now, his wife wasn't in that camp, and she had no, he had no idea where she was, but just in his mind, he would carry on conversations with her all day long, and he would envision where she was and what she might look like right now, and envision times in his past of when he had conversed with her. A second goal that he had every day was to reconstruct a manuscript that he had written, which he basically considered his life work, that had gotten lost when he was taken to the concentration camp. So every day he would reconstruct in his mind every page of that document to have a goal and an aim. And this is what he says in his book about this. He says, those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. What man actually needs is not a tensionless state, but rather the striving and struggle for a worthwhile goal, a freely chosen task. Research after research has shown that, that purpose in life is vital to living a healthy, productive, and fulfilling life. People that are purposeless, they have a sense of low self-worth, they have no real sense of value, they have no real direction, they deal with a lot of anxiety and fear and frustration and confusion. Many people without a purpose often turn to destructive types of habits like addiction and abuse. But people with a purpose, they have a sense of hope. See, it gives them something to live for every single day. It gives them something to look forward to. A purpose gives somebody a sense of worth and accomplishment in their lives. So it's vital to every one of it. It's a basic human need to have a why I exist and what am I here for in our lives? Now, the, the challenging part for many of us is that that can be very overwhelming because it's like, wow, there's so many different things I could do. There's so many different things I can be. I mean, there's all kinds of jobs I can have. There's all kinds of people that I can marry. There's all kinds of places that I could live. There's all kinds of schools that I can go to. It's like, man, it's, it's just how do I narrow all this down? How do I come up with what I'm really here for with all these opportunities that I have in front of me? You know, it's like my daughter, my daughter Ashton, when she was a little girl growing up, she was involved in everything. Anybody here have young children? You know the pressure of having them involved in everything. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? My daughter, she took horseback riding lessons. She took piano lessons. She took flute lessons. She took dance, all kind of dance, tap, jazz, ballet, and creative movement. Now, isn't dance just creative movement? Why do you need a class in dance called creative movement? I'll tell you, because it's another hundred bucks. That's why you have to have that. She took, um, she was a cheerleader. She was a brownie. She played t-ball. She was into ice skating. She was in chorus, she was in drama, you name it, she was in it. And you know what? She thought she was good at all of it. And God bless her heart, she wasn't good at all of it. In fact, her mother asked her one day, when she was a little girl, said, Sweetheart, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she said, Mommy, I don't know because I'm so good at so many things. 
What a great problem to have. I'm so good at so many things. I don't know what to be in my life. But you know what? When we come to this idea of purpose in life, I really believe most of us overcomplicate it. We really overanalyze it. We obsess about it. And it really isn't that difficult, really, in, in, in my opinion. And sometimes we're, we're so overanalyzing what I'm to be and to do, we miss what's in front of our face. And it's kind of like the story I heard of um, Sherlock Holmes and his colleague, Dr. Watson. They were out uh, camping together. And in the middle of the night, Holmes wakes up and he nudges uh, uh, Watson awake. And he says this, Watson, look up at the sky and tell me what you see. He said, I see millions of stars, my dear Holmes. What do you infer from these stars, Holmes asked. Well, a number of things, Watson says, lighting his pipe. Astronomically, I observe that there are millions of galaxies and billions of stars and planets. Astrologically, I observe that Saturn is in Leo. Horologically, I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three in the morning. Meteorologically, I expect that the weather will be fine and clear. Theologically, I see that God is all-powerful and creator of all things, and that we, his human creation, are small and insignificant. What about you, Holmes? What do you infer? Watson, you fool, someone has stolen our tent. Think about it. Sometimes we're so overanalyzing, we miss what's in front of our face. And really, God has simplified what our purpose in life is. For every one of us in the room, it's very simple. In fact, Scripture just all throughout, from Genesis to Revelation, tells us what our purpose in life is. And 1 Peter, a letter written to the early church by Simon Peter, he really gives us what our purpose is. Now, Simon Peter's writing this, church, writing this letter to a church that's in tremendous persecution and suffering. Many of them are losing their homes, they're losing their families, they're being put to death, they're being thrown in prison. And these followers are beginning to lose hope and lose uh, um, what they're there for. And, and Peter writes to encourage them, to remind them of who they are in Jesus Christ and to remind them what their purpose is, even though they're going through this tremendous suffering and persecution. And in 1 Peter 4, beginning in verses 10 and 11, we see what Simon Peter writes. He says, each one of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Say, serve others. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Right there, Simon Peter says, here's the purpose for everybody. That is to serve others and glorify God. Say that with me. Serve others and glorify God. One more time. Serve others and glorify God. That's... That's our created purpose from God. In fact, from the very beginning of time, you go to the creation account in Genesis. In Genesis 1 verse 26, where it tells us about God creating you and I in his image, this is what it says. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. See, to be made in the image of God and the likeness of God 
literally means we're made in the ability to reflect the nature and the character of God. See, we, his human creation, are the height of his creation. And more than any other created thing, he's given us the privilege to reflect his nature and character into this earth beyond all other created things that he has made. And so our very design was to reflect the nature and character of God into this earth. That's glorifying God. That's what we were made for. And one of the ways we do that is how we service this world, how we take care of what God has given to us, how we serve others. That has been our created purpose from the beginning of time, serve others and glorify God. We lost that. It became marred and distorted and twisted within us when we sinned against God. And we begin trying to find a lot of other things to be our purpose. We begin to see that possessions were our purpose, or we begin to seek pleasure as our purpose, or prestige as our purpose, or power as our purpose, or leisure as our purpose. we got all these other things that weren't designed to be our purpose mixed up with what God's purpose was for us because of our sin. But then Jesus Christ... He restores that purpose back to us. He recenters us in what God made for us in terms of purpose. And Paul talks about this, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1.11. And this is the message translation. I love the way it reads. It says, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. What does he say? Who I am is found in Jesus Christ and my purpose is found in him. Christ restores that back to us. And Paul sums up, again, what this is in Colossians 3.17. And if you will, read this out loud with me, please. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What did Paul just say? Here's your purpose. Glorify God and serve others. Now, what that does for me, it takes the pressure off of me of having to find the perfect job that's my purpose. That my job isn't my purpose anymore. My job is a mode by which I serve my purpose. My job is a place where I serve others and I glorify God. My marriage is a place where I serve others and glorify God. If I'm in school, my schooling is a place where I serve others and glorify God. Wherever the Lord takes me, wherever I live, That's not to be my purpose. It's just a mode by which I can serve my purpose, and that's to serve others and glorify God. Jack Fortin, who is a pastor, and he wrote a little book entitled The Centered Life. He says this. He says, with God at our center, we live in unconditional love. Freed from the need to earn our salvation or justify our existence on earth, we ask, now what? Now what is my life for? The Christian answer is, God's grace frees you to love and serve your neighbor. You are free to become little Christ to the people in your life, your community, God's world. Serving others, glorifying God. Now, I see three primary places that we live and learn this purpose. Every one of us. And the three primary places are home, work, and church. Say that with me. Home, work, and church. These are the primary places. Now, there's other places. Wherever we are, we're to carry out this purpose of serving others and glorifying God. But I think you can connect any other place to one of these three. Like our own community, we can connect that to home. Or the community in which our church is, we can connect that to church. Or you have community where you work, you can connect that to your work. Any other place, I think we can connect to one of those three. So let's drill down a little bit on these three places. Now, when it comes to home, home is the breeding ground for 
our purpose. That's, that's the place where the foundation is laid for serving others and loving God and glorifying God. That's, that's the place where it's modeled and it fostered. It's, it's in the home, moms and dads, that we really set the stage, we set the pace for what it means to, to respect other people, what it means to take responsibility for your actions, and what it means to be generous. It's, it's in the home that we really model the generous life, the giving way of life. It's in the home that we really demonstrate, moms and dads, to our kids, the idea that our belongings aren't just for us to hoard and to enjoy. Now, there's nothing wrong with enjoying our possessions and what God has blessed us with. God takes great pleasure out of us enjoying what He blesses us with. However, it's not just for our own enjoyment. It's for us to share in the lives of other people, to serve others, and to honor and glorify God with that which He has blessed us with. Now, that takes a lot of reinforcement and consistency, mom and dads, showing our ch children because our children don't catch it right away. Our children are not born with a natural desire to share. Do your, did your children know how to share when they were first born? Absolutely not. They don't know how to say thank you. They don't know how to be generous. It's something that is learned, and we have to model it consistently in, in their lives. You know, it's like the story I heard of the dad who really wanted to, to really instill in his children the idea of tithing in church. He really wanted them to understand the idea of giving. And so he, he ha had a little girl, and she had done her chores and her, her, that week and done her uh, uh, assignments, and so he gave her her allowance, which was $2. He gave her $1 and said, this is for you, you can do whatever you want to with it. She said that he said, this other dollar is when you go to church Sunday, this is for God. You put this in the offering plate. That dollar's for you, or this dollar is to put in the offering plate for God. So the little girl thought, with my dollar, I'm going to go to the candy store. So she started skipping down the sidewalk, headed to the candy store. She tripped, fell. One of the dollars fell out of her hand, blew into the storm sewer right there on the, in the street. She stood up, looked at the dollar in her hand. She looked at the storm sewer and looked up to God and said, Sorry, God, there went your dollar and went into the candy store. She still needs some more work. You know, me and my wife, when our kids were growing up, we tried to really instill in them the idea of being responsible for their stuff and taking care of it and using it and sharing it. And we really tried to instill that within them. And when my son was about three years old, I don't think our daughter was even born. We were living in Orlando, Florida at the time, and we had come back to Atlanta to visit my parents. And I had been out on an errand, and I came in the house. I walked into the kitchen, and there my wife was making a sandwich. And I said, baby, what are you doing? She said, I'm making a sandwich for Justin. Well, Justin wasn't even in the kitchen. I walked into the breakfast area, and there my mother was sitting at the table putting together a kid's puzzle. I said, Mom, what are you doing? She said, I'm putting a puzzle together with Justin. Justin wasn't even in the room. I went downstairs in the basement, and there my dad was picking up my son's toys that were strewn all over the floor. I said, Dad, what are you doing? He said, I'm helping Justin pick up his toys. Justin wasn't in the room. I went into the next room, and there Justin was watching television. I mean, he is a true walker. We're all executives. You get everybody else to do your jobs for you. My dad came to me later and told us that Justin was trying to pick up his toys by himself and dad was watching television and Justin walked in there, three years old, and says to my dad, he says, Grand Doc, the Bible says we're to help one another. Turned around, walked out, convicted my dad so much, he came in and started picking up the toys, then Justin went back in and started watching television. 
I thought, well played, son, well played. My wife wasn't real happy about me taking that attitude, so then I had to take the fathery attitude and bring some discipline to the situation. But man, moms and dads, listen to me, listen to me close. What they see us do, what they hear us say, really models to them this idea of living out our God-given purpose of serving others and glorifying God. I came across this written by a lady by the name of Diane Lumens. She simply said this, if I had my child to raise all over again, if I had my child to raise all over again, I'd finger paint more and point the finger less. I'd do less correcting and more connecting. I'd take my eyes off my watch and watch with my eyes. I would care to know less and know to care more. I would take more hikes and fly more kites. I'd stop playing serious and seriously play. I would run through fields and gaze at more stars. I would do more hugging and less tugging. I would be firm less often and affirm much more. I'd build self-esteem first and the house later. I'd teach less about the love of power and more about the power of love. One of the primary places, the foundational place where our purpose is established is in the home. A second place is at work. See, work is where we spend most of our time outside of the home. Now, you may not be a full-time employer. You may be a student. If you're a student and full-time in school somewhere, that's your work. That's your workplace. You know, Jesus Christ, there's two stories in the Scriptures where Christ steps into the middle of somebody's work and really just kind of rearranges it. The first one is in Luke chapter 5 with Simon Peter. Now, Simon Peter was a fisherman by trade. That's what he did before he became an apostle of Jesus Christ. And one day, the story goes, Simon Peter was out all night. He had fished didn't catch anything. He'd brought his boat back on shore. It was early in the morning. He'd cleaned his nets. He was done for the day. Well, Jesus shows up, steps into the boat, says, Simon Peter, push back out. I want you to put your nets down again. Well, Simon Peter's thinking, man, I'm the fisherman. You're, you're a, a carpenter. You don't know anything about fishing. But out of respect for the Lord, he pushes back out, puts his nets out, and he gets a record catch. He had never caught that many fish in the history of his fishing. And he falls in the boat on his knees before the Lord and confesses him to be the Messiah. And then Jesus says something to him. This is very interesting to me. Verse 10 of Luke 5. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Now here, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is changing Simon Peter's line of work. He was a fisherman, and he was being blessed by the Lord in his fishing. He caught a record catch. But the Lord is changing his line of work. For some of us, he may change our line of work. He may step into our workplace and call us to a different line of work, whatever that may be. And wherever I am in my work, my whole purpose, wherever I am, is to serve others and to glorify God. He may call us into a different line of work. But then there's another story. We see in Luke, Luke chapter 19, a story by the, about a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And the tax collectors at the time of Christ were considered the scum of the earth. They were Jews hired by the Romans to collect taxes from their fellow countrymen. And what these tax collectors did, these Jews, they would charge triple, quadruple tax 
they would give Rome their share, and then they would pocket the money. And Rome didn't care as long as Rome got its share. But man, they were gouging their own countrymen, and they were considered traitors. Well, Zacchaeus was a small little guy, and Jesus came into his community, and there were so many people, he couldn't see him. So he climbed up in a tree, and most of you know this story. And then Jesus comes along, looks up in the tree, and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. So Zacchaeus goes, opens up his house, and Jesus spends the day with him. And spending the time with Jesus totally transforms Zacchaeus. And look what it says in Luke 19, verse 8. Look what it says. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will will pay back four times the amount. Look what happens here. Zacchaeus remains a tax collector. He doesn't change and go into a different line of work. He just changes the way he does his work. And for some of us, I think the Lord is trying to help us say, look, the line of work you're in is fine. What I want you to begin to do is look at it differently. Change the way you do your work. Some of us, he may call us into a different line of work. Before our life is over, we may have several different career paths or jobs that he calls us into. Some of us may stay in the same career path. But the Lord is trying to say, and I believe for some of us in this room, perhaps our job has just become that, a job. It's become something of stress and strain, and we see it as really our purpose, and we see it as the main thing in our lives that brings us all the meaning. And the Lord is trying to say, hey, I want you to do well in your job, but I want you to shift your thinking. I want you to shift in how you do your job. Your job is not about what you're getting paid or, or, or what you're, in, or what you're uh, uh, getting out of it as much as it is you are there to serve others and to glorify me with what I have called you to do. He may call us into a different line of work, but some of us, he's just simply saying, I want you to look and do your work differently. Let me just share with you three quick things about really establishing your purpose at work and serving others and glorifying God. Number one, do your work with excellence. Say excellence. That glorifies God. Do your job well. That serves others, man, because they don't have to pick up your slack. I believe with all my heart, followers of Christ should be the best employers and employees on the planet. Do your job with excellence. Secondly, empathy. Say empathy. Empathy is I'm doing my job with the needs of other people in mind. It isn't just about me. That I'm aware of what people are dealing with and what people are going through. How can I help somebody else do their job easier? How can I take the load, maybe, off of somebody else? And then thirdly, ethically. I want to do my job with the right morals. I don't want to cut corners. I want to do my job with the right values. See, this is what glorifies God. In my workplace... Whether he calls me to a different line of work or he just calls me to do my work differently, I want to do it with excellence, empathy, and ethically. Lee Strobel is one of my favorite authors. And he tells a story of a business owner who was not a follower of Christ but was intrigued about Christ and had developed a relationship with Lee and they had talked a lot about Jesus together. And this owner tells him this story. He says, you know, I was naturally drawn to God by observing Christian workers who were conscientious and kind and thorough and aggressive on the job. But I'll tell you what really impressed me. He said, one day a guy who I knew to be a fresh convert to Christ asked if he could see me after work. I agreed to meet with him, but later in the day I began to think, oh my goodness, this young religious zealot might be coming to try to convert me too. I was surprised when he came into my office with his head hanging low, And said to me, sir, I'll only take a few minutes, but I'm here to ask your forgiveness. 
Over the years, I've worked for you. I've done what a lot of other employees do, like borrowing a few company products here and there, and I've taken some extra supplies. I've abused telephone privileges, and I've cheated the time clock now and then. But I became a Christian a few months ago, and it's real. Not the smoke and mirror stuff. In gratitude for what Christ has done for me and in obedience to Him, I want to make amends to you and the company for the wrong I've done. So could we figure out a way to do that? If you have to fire me for what I've done, I'll understand I deserve it. Or if you want to give me some extra work to do on my own time, that would be okay too. I just want to make things right with God and between us. Well, they did work things out. And here's what the business owner told Lee Strobel. He said, this conversation made a spiritual impact on me than anything else ever had. He said it was the single most impressive demonstration of true Christianity he had ever witnessed. Home, work, and then church. Here. This is kind of, to me, the apex of where we can gather with our purpose of serving others and glorifying God. I mean, the church is the place I can come and I can connect with people and connect with a broader spectrum of people than I, might connect, than I might connect with in my home or within my work. Church gives me an opportunity to come and maybe use some gifts and some talents that might not get utilized as well within my home or within my workplace. Church is a place, man, where people come together with the same purpose in mind. The whole reason we come together and exist as a church is to serve others and glorify God. It's why we exist. It's what we do in our worship together. It's what we want to do in our praying together. Hopefully it's what we get in our teaching and preaching as well as in our connecting and community one to another. Man, this is the place where we come and we have the apex, if you will, of our, of our purpose. It's here that I get replenished in my purpose. I get refocused in my purpose. I come here two hours out of the week perhaps. And this is the place that I can get revived in my purpose. I can get recentered in my purpose. I once again get reminded of why I'm here. And what did Peter tell us back in 1 Peter 4 when we looked at this in 1 Peter 4.10? He said this, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully. Say faithfully. Faithfully administering God's grace in the various forms. Here's what I see Simon, here, here Simon Peter saying. Everybody has a gift. God's given them to be used to serve in the church, and we need to do it faithfully. That's what he's saying. Everybody has an ability, a talent God has given them to serve one another in the church, and we need to do it faithfully. And I guess the question I have to ask myself, do I know those gifts and talents he's given to me, and am I faithfully using them within the body of Christ? That's what... Jeannie and Lizbeth Coleman were telling us when we opened with that video. That's what they were saying. I loved her criteria for service. We ought to put her head over volunteers. If you can breathe and you got a pulse. I love that. In fact, right now, take your left hand and put it on your right wrist. Do you have a pulse? Put your right hand on your lungs. Are you breathing? This is a place, man, where we can impact people for eternity. God so loves us, he's wired us and gifted us in a way that we can do that one with the other. Let me leave you three questions to pray about concerning and answer concerning knowing and using your gifts. The first question I would leave with you is this. What do I do well? What do you do well? What's the talent? What's the ability? What, what, what's the thing that you do well? A second question, what do you enjoy? What do I enjoy? We don't want to put you in something you don't enjoy. 
We want to put you in some. What's your passion? What is that? And you could say, you know what? I really don't know. I'm not really sure what gifts I have that I can use in the church. And I'm not sure what, what I might enjoy doing in the church. Well, let me just encourage you. Do a trial and error. Get involved in trial and error. Get involved in something. And if that ain't in for you, then go find something else. We'll help you discover it. We'll help you find it. What do I do well? What do I enjoy? And the third question I would leave with you to answer and pray about, where's the need? Where's the need? As we move to the lease space, yeah, the shifting of our service teams are going to change because we're not going to have to, to build up and tear down every week. But it doesn't mean we're going to need less servers. It's going to shift in what our service is going to be. It's going to shift in what the needs are. I just want to encourage you, and I want to challenge you. Yes, man, we are pumped, and we are excited about God, how He's opened the doors. And, man, we clap our hands, and as well we should. But, however, let me tell you, it ain't just going to happen automatically. We need you to know what your gifts are, what the needs are, and use them faithfully. That's what's going to turn a couple of people that Pastor Jeremy talked about that came into the building just by seeing our prayer time together. That's what's going to change their lives. What do you do well? What do you enjoy? Where's the need? We'll help you know where that need is. I'm going to invite the band to come up. As they do, let me close with this. Every three years, we select elders. And the new elder term started... January 2014. And one of the gentlemen we selected, he got saved at the Mount Perry North Marietta campus before we ever had a Canton campus. It's been over 10 plus years now that he came to Christ. He came to Christ on an Easter Sunday morning. He was raised in Islam. He was a Muslim. Lived in Iran. Came over here and began to feel the emptiness of, 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 of Islam and began to see the truth of Christianity and Christ was attending our church for a little while and on Easter Sunday morning gave his life to Christ. We asked him to serve as one of our elders. His first time to be an elder in this term. And he wrote me a letter and I want you to hear this because I think this sums up the whole idea of what we're talking about in this purpose of serving others and glorifying God. He said this, I have said many times and I do not hesitate to send 10,000 10, times more that on Easter Sunday when I heard for the first time that the Lord Jesus had said on the cross, it is done, it is finished, was a great beginning for me. I found the meaning of my heartbeat and the blood flowing in my veins up and down from my heart just because his heart beats for me forever and ever. On that day, my life changed. And soon after that, the life of my wife and my two children changed. Honestly, I have no clue why you and the others have chosen me to be an elder of the church. Yet I am very thankful to God and all of you by choosing me. And this has made me very proud. Listen to, listen to what he says here. This has changed me so much that my trust and faith in God has been magnified beyond belief and has made me more accountable and responsible to the Lord and his words. I realize that just by being a member of the gym would not make me any stronger unless I actually take the steps of exercising and eating right just as instructed. The same concept is true of the Word of God. By reading the Bible and not putting it into practice does not mean anything to God and the people around me. At the end, I will not promise to be the best elder, nor compete to be one. 
Yet I will promise to be a better me as a person and a much better servant of God. We're not asking you to be volunteer of the month every month. But God is asking. I've gifted you. I'm asking you. Faithfully use it to serve in my church. So that you'll know me better. You'll be a better you. And be one of the greater servants of me. I want to invite you to stand, if you would, please. And since we're talking about one another, we're talking about connecting, we're talking about being a church, here's what I'm going to invite you to do. And you don't have to participate in this if you don't want. And if you don't, there's no, we're not going to judge you. It's no sign of your spirituality. But I'm going to ask you to find one or two people just standing there beside you and ask them to pray for you about one of these three areas. Maybe you need prayer in your home. Ask them to pray for your home, that, that in your home you would really better live out that purpose. Or maybe you need prayer about your work. Maybe you're out of work or the work you're in is very tense and you need a repurposing there. And you ask them to pray about you, pray for you and your work. Or maybe you need prayer about the church and finding your place and really knowing what your gifts are and ask them to pray about that. But find one or two other people and let's just group up in prayer together and say, pray for me about this. One of these three areas. Now, don't give the war and peace version. If you're going to give the war and peace version, just go to lunch together and y'all can talk about it there. Just give a quick, this is what I need you to pray about either in my home, in my work, or in my church. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we gather together as your people to pray one for the other, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Speak to each one of us, God, as we minister one to the other. Show us once again. Raise us up to a new level of serving one another and glorifying you. Be in our prayer groups right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Find two or three people and y'all pray together.